Hey, you're listening to another episode of the CTO Advisor. If my voice is sounding a little raspy, it's because I have a CTO on of a healthcare service provider, Swarthy Young, and she's got me up super early in the morning, Swarthy, but I think it's going to be worth it. How you doing? Doing great, Keith. How are you today? I'm doing pretty good. So, Swarthy, I met you at a book signing. Uh, for Ray Wayne's book, uh, Digital Giants, it was a fat. I, I bought the book. I've read some of the book. I'm, I'm notorious about buying books and uh, reading, uh, not the whole book. It's not that Ray's book isn't good. It's very good. It's just, you know, it's, it's me. It's not him. Have you read the book yet? I'm just like you. I have, you can see the collection of books at the back and I have so many books next to me. So I think it's a very impressive book. I've been, um, you know, sort of browsing through, but I have it on my list of holiday book reading to finish. And if you ever met Ray Wang, he's kind of a very active personality. And if you see him uh, present in person, you're like, oh, I just got the whole book. Like yes. right there at the at the yep. in, in the uh, at the presentation of the book signing, so I feel like I, I I don't need it, but I will read it. Uh, I'm looking. I think the the audio version is out. I'll put a link in the show notes, and I think I'll listen to it on on the treadmill. But Swathi, you're a author in your own right, and you're an ethical AI expert. You have you've co-authored a a, a book already and you have a book in the works tell me about the two pieces of work absolutely i would say a minor edit i co-authored a framework um, okay. that was part of an ai working group which is a crowdsourcing collaboration between industry academia and uh, federal government leaders and being in washington dc gave me the honor and opportunity to co-author the ethical ai framework that any stakeholders in federal state or local governments can use so um so my journey into this started because a couple of years back, I started implementing AI ML solutions. And one of the things that I was noticing what was missing is that whole human-centric design of sitting with the users and trying to understand what is the current process and what are some, uh, you know, what if scenarios, what if this uh, recommendation engine goes wrong, you know, who is liable and so on. So as part of co-authoring the Ethical AI Framework, I very much focused on the bias section, which as a data scientist and leading a team of data scientists, I'm very much aware of because there is nothing called unbiased data. So that led to me getting very involved in this AI uh, framework, Ethical AI Framework for the government that was published um, end of 2020, actually. It was a a good one-year effort by like I said, 30 plus industry, academia and government leaders involved in it. But I was crucial and a leading author of it, especially in the bias section. And that further led me um, to opportunities to speak about the various aspects of ethical AI, whether it is bias, responsibility, social trust um, and transparency. These are all the crucial considerations when it comes to ethical evaluation of AI or even machine learning algorithms. So that made me early on come up with the concept called NODES, which is an acronym to various factors that go into considering 
um, the ethical AI. So nodes in a nutshell is what are the needs and objectives and data ethics and social trust. So I had the good fortune of presenting this framework to Manning Publications. So I now have a book contract with them and I'm in the process of writing it and hopefully will release the book with Manning um, in the summer of 2022. So nodes, uh, I love the acronym. Uh, very good. It's much easier to remember than the specifics. And I think this is one of those areas in technology that we look at and we say, okay, we need to understand ethics and AI, but I also need to get my job done. Yeah. And uh, there's a bunch of things that um, kind of scare us as a society when we think about ethics and AI and machine learning. Uh, and we, we, I think it's helpful to have a framework. So let's structure the rest of the conversation around just some of those concerns that CTOs, architects should consider when they don't have a dedicated ethics AI team mm -hmm. like uh, some of the big cloud providers, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So I, I got it. I was at the, I was at AWS reInvent. Were you at reInvent? I unfortunately was not there in person. I attended some sessions virtually. So I was at this. Uh, I was at this session, and or actually, it was just a conversation, hallway track conversation, and someone from Amazon was talking and saying that you know they have their uh, Amazon Show thing that can see what you have on and then make recommendations or whatever how about clothing and etc. And one of the engineers, they they were uh, relaying the story of how one of the engineers said, oh, and then we can see what's in their closet and then recommend other things that's in their closet as they're showing something on. And the, uh, and the guy relaying the story was like, then we all in the room had to hit the brakes and say, no, that's not ethical. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about, you know, kind of, Engineers want to be engineers, and they want mm -hmm. to solve problems. But where, 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 where do we go wrong to begin with? And that's a great question. And the reason that I started my framework, if you notice with nodes, you start with N and O, the needs and objectives. So as any engineer were there, Salt, like I am an engine, a career technologist, I'm very excited about bright, shiny objects and tools like you must be, and we want to get our heads down, write the code. But what I saw missing when I worked on projects like, for example, using deep learning for lung cancer research was one of the projects I advised and led the data science team, is not spending enough time up front about the needs and objectives. We are spending more time getting quickly into the data analysis and modeling and discovering data instead of having the conversations where engineers are not the best in making those decisions or even understanding things like what are the ill effects if the decision is wrong? What are some of the existing rules and regulations? What compliance issues can arise, especially if you're talking about healthcare, finance, and other regulated sectors? So I want to emphasize a lot on the needs and objectives, which is a conversation with multiple disciplinary teams. 
And this multidisciplinary team, if it's a small sized or mid sized organization and don't have an ethicist, they still can have a conversation with their legal, with their HR, with some of the other executives who know the compliance officers and then try to understand what if scenarios, the focus on the what if scenarios. So let me give two simple examples. One is um, a person is applying for a business loan and the financial institution has has discovered that the traditional credit risk models they were using was not enough. They still had a lot of defaults on the loans. So they had a hypothesis that if we use machine learning, we can use the applicant's social media data, their business mm. news data, their location data, and we can you know, use this machine learning to make a recommendation about the risk of this applicant defaulting the loan. So on the onset, okay, you have the social media data with all the APIs. So as a technologist, you are ready to go. But wait a second have a conversation with your credit risk officers, financial institutions have compliance officers, have a conversation and say, okay, if if the machine learning algorithm gives a recommendation that this applicant based on the zip code they are living in has high chances of defaulting the loan, so we reject the loan and you send a letter. Uh, so, But there is rules and regulations around rejecting, about the reasons for rejecting. Now, when the data scientists get in the room with the compliance officers, when they will understand, oh, there is a rules and regulations that we need to follow. So it's very important for our machine learning algorithm to be transparent to the extent to understand what are the factors that went into decision making? What is the weightage of those factors? So that's just a simple example. But what I'm emphasizing here is the need to have that multidisciplinary conversation to have the scenarios and ultimately maybe the algorithm is recommending a certain zip code because of the demography there, because of the population who reside in the zip code might have lower incomes and thereby a large sector of the population is adversely impacted, right? So I would say upfront that conversation and discuss in depth before you write a single piece of your code. So the one of the good pieces of advice that I was given when I worked uh, in supporting the government sector was uh, I had a manager who told me two things. One, Keith, if ethics ever call if the uh, if ethics, if you ever get, get a call from ethics, law, lawyer up, that's one. I'm like, OK, that's an interesting piece of advice. But it, the, the I have stories and for people who want to know, we'll have those stories offline. but. The other piece of advice that they gave, it was pretty common amongst the organization, was if you do something, if you create something or do something, and it landed on the front page of the Wall Street Journal or the first front page of the New York Times, is it something you would be embarrassed about? Or it was something that would embarrass the company? How transparent do you, as you're, Given me the example, how should you think about transparency when you're thinking uh, about the the approaches you're taking to AI and ML? No, that's a great question. And just one comment I would make is like, yes, 
I think that's a phrase we've all heard. We don't want to get in the newspaper for the wrong reasons. But the observation as a data scientist and seeing all the uh, all the machine learning algorithm in practice, they're impacting us in a smaller way. It's like the cycle is churning already in small sectors without the public knowing or getting into newspapers. So that is what is scary, even scarier than, okay, a big, incident happened and it got to the newspaper but what's happening is smaller things are happening all around and the and you know policy is not caught up policy has not caught up we are in a world where uh, a giant social media ceo has asked what is your business model in the capitol hill right so so the policy makers haven't caught up um so we i think as ethicists and all the data science community who are talking about ethics are coming together and trying to say hey there is a risk in not evaluating the ethical considerations and trying to highlight this so i just want to put it out there specifically okay go ahead no so i think you you're you're naturally going to a place i would love to talk about next which is okay as an engineer there's you know, an engineering life cycle. And uh, as an engineer, you know, I, 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 put, I, I put this into the requirements gathering of what are the boundaries of the system that I'm going to create. But I think, you know, and, and, and you've said this in so many words, but AI and ML is kind of squishy from a system design perspective. You're trying to make sense of data in ways that we've never been able to do before. So as I, I've, I've gotten my requirements from compliance and my guardrails from HR and legal and, you know, I'm ready to go and I start the project and I'm getting great information. What are some of the, the, the safety checks I can supply to make sure that I don't get that float? Right. No, that's a great question. And I'll address your transparency question as part of that as well. So having come from software engineering background, I understand traditional software development lifecycle. Now, data science lifecycle is very different. It starts with data and most of data science uh, projects are predictive, right? Based on historical data, how can you predict the future? Whether you're talking about autonomous vehicles have um, imbibing lots of images and recognizing an image when it comes across, or whether you're talking about historical financial data of a, of a loan applicant, right? Either ways. So data is the starting point of the, of the data science project, and there are multiple... Uh, steps. So you have the majority of data science projects uh, to write a machine learning algorithm is 60% of data analysis, what you call feature engineering, data imputation, etc, etc. And then you get into your machine learning modeling. And and the uniqueness about uh, data science projects is there are a lot of assumptions that go into making when the data analysis is being done. So a simple example, if you have 7 million records and 5 million records had gender data and 2 million records did not have, so, uh, some approaches is that the 2 million records might be dropped depending on is the gender data element crucial to your outcome or not, or sometimes they they impute the data, which means they assume based on statistical analysis, what is that gender type and they will 
assign a value, right? So, so a lot of assumptions are being made during the data analysis phase, which directly will impact your model output and outcome. So that's one. So every assumption that you're making, you need to go back and ask the question, right? So if it is gender and you're coming up with uh, imputating the values for the 2 million missing records, is it is it actually statistically accurate to the demographic of the population, right? So you need to think deep and not just do that decision. And most data scientists are in the hurry to get to the algorithm. So they make some assumptions and every step of the way, they have to go back to the domain expert. So for example, when I was working in the lung cancer research project, we had to ask the lung cancer surgeon what the data element value means and why is it relevant to the outcome because we are data scientists we don't know and even though the surgeon had very little time we had to make sure he gives us that input and so i would recommend every step of the way when you make that data analysis and the assumptions and the imputations you need to go back and think through and speak with your subject matter experts the second thing is coming to algorithms you asked a question about transparency right so in the world of machine learning the algorithms deciding which algorithm to pick, whether it is a decision tree or the TensorFlow or the H, uh, XG Boost, depends on multiple factors like your false negatives, false positives, your precision and accuracy. But apart from that, the transparency should be one of the considerations. And sometimes it's a trade-off between if the algorithms are more transparent, maybe random forest or a decision tree is a better one, although we might have lesser accuracy. So those are the type of conversations we need to have more. Um, I know there are some set of data scientists who are very, very eager to increase the accuracy, right? But these are the factors if you want to have the transparency. And, and then there are a whole lot of black box and white box modeling and more research papers have come out about transparency techniques. But end of the day, to your point about lawyer, if you're taken to a court of law, can a data scientist stand in the court of law and say with a high degree of, of uh, confidence, what are the weightage of the factors that went into this decision making? This need not be jargon. It could be these 10 factors were considered by the algorithm and these five factors were the most important ones maybe geographical location, maybe a demographic. So if they could, to that extent, offer an explanation with high degree of confidence, that will increase your transparency, right? Of, of saying, okay, based on these weightage factors, this recommendation seems to be appropriate. Wow, this is so complicated from a just ethics perspective. Like there's... There from a technology perspective, it's pretty complicated from a data perspective. There, you know, there's causation versus correlation. You know, the, you, you know, we look at the demographics and, or and you look at zip code as one factor. So zip, zip code isn't the causation. Zip code is just, you know, correlation. What, how do I get to the issue of the data? Then there's kind of the politics of when you come out of the, you've gotten what could be pretty accurate things. It could be it could be very accurate that there's a correlation between the number of people who default and their race. Doesn't mean that that's the cause, but that's a correlation. And it is definitely a red line. So from but there's all kinds of things in data and data analysis 
that have similar impacts. And whether you rate it, you know, 0.10% uh, of a, a tenth of a percent in your algorithm or however you weight it, the fact that it's there can cause political harm to your company, et cetera. So if people want to stay out of these types of harms, how do they follow you on social media to get kind of your, your, the gist of what you say? How do they find your content? So most of my content is curated on LinkedIn and I do uh, cross post on LinkedIn, any medium blogs that I do. I also blog on Forbes, but I would say if you have to follow one place, it would be my LinkedIn. I do have my YouTube channel, which is on a hiatus and I, I hope to revive it in 2022, but everything is cross-posted on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn would be a great place where you can follow my blogs, my video content, and any updates. I also update about new tools, um, new research papers that are coming up, and so on and so forth. So that's one-stop shop I would recommend. So Swathi, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge. I know that when you're down in the weeds and you're solving these problems, it's really hard to come up for air, gather your thoughts, write them down and share them so that we all learn from them. And I so much appreciate your contribution to the community around this extremely important con uh, concept that basically, you know, it's, it, it's, it's more or less brand new for most of us in the entire industry at large. If you want to learn more about the CTO Advisor, you can follow us on the web. TheCTOAdvisor.com is the website. The in the front of CTO Advisor. There's another CTOAdvisor.com website that I cannot get the rights to. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at CTO Advisor. And I'm pretty prolific on LinkedIn too. So follow me on LinkedIn. It's another great place to have long form conversations. Make sure to subscribe and rate the podcast. Until then, we'll talk to you next podcast. If this is reaching you before the holidays, have a great holidays. If it's reaching you after the holidays, have a great new year. See you soon. Thank you so much, Keith.